Since I was last up here, a lot of new and wonderful people have joined this church, so I believe some introductions are in order. My name is Noah Tobin, and Sharon has been my home church since I was 14. I got my feet wet in the world of ministry by helping in the children's program as an assistant Sunday school leader and a VBS volunteer. I was also a Crossfire youth student. <laughs> Thank you, y'all. So I learned to preach and plan the flow of a service on Youth Sundays each year. About five years ago, I was sitting right around there when I first felt my call to ordained ministry as an elder in the United Methodist Church. Since that day, Sharon has supported me during every step of the process to becoming a pastor. As part of my educational requirements, I went to college at Spartanburg Methodist College to get my BA in Religion and English. And I served as an intern here during my junior and senior years. So you may remember me from things like online noonday prayer services, the word and table prayer team last summer, or you may have even met me online. If the church replied to your comment on a Facebook Live with, good morning, glad you are here, that was me. Hi, this is what I look like. <laughs> now I have graduated from SMC with a BA in Religion and English. I am an intern at Trinity United Methodist Church in Converse Heights, which is why you don't see me much. And I'm headed to seminary at Methodist Theological School in Ohio this fall. From there, I will continue the process so someday I can become a pastor, like Griff, who along with this church, helped to raise me to follow my calling. You can probably tell by now that I love this church, so if you're new here, welcome. You're in a great place. As we come to the scripture today, would you join me in prayer? Oh Lord our God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, Father Almighty, our Rock and our Redeemer. Blessed be you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and best be, blessed be God's kingdom forever. Amen. Today we are continuing our sermon series called Therefore Go, where we take a deep dive into the book of Acts and see how we are called to apply Luke's words and the ways of the early church to our modern church and world. In case you need a reminder, Acts of the Apostles is Griff's favorite biblical book. It's pretty great. I'm more of an Ecclesiastes person myself, but it's pretty great. However, the story I'm reading today is a tough one. It's a story about Stephen, a deacon or servant of the early church. And if you're familiar with Acts at all, you probably know where this is going. Either way, as I read, I ask that you come to the scripture with fresh eyes and an open heart, that God may speak to us all this morning. Today we'll be reading from Acts chapter 6, verse 8, to chapter 7, verse 2, and then we will jump over and pick up at the end of chapter 7 in verse 51, and continue to the first verse in chapter 8. I want you to hear Luke's words. Stephen full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, 
Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, are these things so? And Stephen replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our ancestor Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And now picking up in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout all rushed together against them. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Let's think about this. When I was a child, I loved to read. I loved to grab a stack of books from the library and get lost in their different worlds. Narnia, Mr. Toad, Sherlock Holmes, Charlotte's Web, the BFG, I read them all, sometimes multiple times. When I was very young and just starting out as a reader, I was taught how to approach a new book. I'd ask myself two questions. Number one, who is the hero? And number two, who is the villain? I'd keep asking these questions as I followed the story, trying to get an idea of who was who. For example, I might think to myself, this character Dorothy is kind and helpful to the others that she meets on her journey, but the wicked witch of the West is mean and trying to hurt her and her friends. So in this case, Dorothy is the hero and the wicked witch is the villain. Then I would cheer when the witch was melted with a bucket of water and Dorothy got back to Kansas because I knew who to root for and who to hate on. I used this approach until it became an ingrained habit. 
those questions got me engaged in the story and gave me someone to relate to. I would often imagine myself in the place of a hero like Dorothy, even going so far as to dress like her on two separate Halloweens. But I never once wanted to be the Wicked Witch. This is just what many authors, teachers, and parents want children to do with books. Follow the good example of the hero, but not the bad tendencies of the villain. The trouble is, sometimes that hero-villain mentality that I used makes it into the way we see the real world. We don't like to admit it, but it's there. Without thinking about it, we scan the six o'clock news, the internet, social media, or current politics on the lookout for real-life heroes and villains. These people we like and agree with become our heroes. And they can do no wrong in our eyes. But the people who make us uncomfortable or angry, those who we don't like, become villains. And according to us, they can do no right. And we all want to be heroes. We want to do what's right. We want to believe the right things and be good people. So we affiliate ourselves with those we see as the heroes. And consequently, the opposing viewpoints become the villains. I believe this dichotomous way of thinking also extends to scripture. When we read a story like the one in our passage today, we want to think of ourselves as Stephen. We want to think that we are the heroes who are called to preach the word of God to an unreceptive audience. And we want to imitate Stephen's courage in the face of death. We focus on learning from Stephen's example as we go out as witnesses to the work of God ourselves. And this focus has a great deal of merit. When drafting this sermon, I first thought that I would focus on just this, Stephen's example as a courageous preacher. However, I believe that there is another lesson in this passage that needs our attention. And so I will take a different tack today. Stephen was in a confrontation with a large group of people over matters of theology and philosophy. The scripture said that they could not withstand his wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. The Greek word Luke used for withstand, antistenai, is a military term. It means to strongly oppose or resist. In other words, you might say that Stephen had the others cornered in a theological debate. You know that feeling when the other person you're arguing with has a really good point, and you don't really have anything to contest it, but you just don't want to back down? Imagine that, but the argument in question has to do with your entire tradition, everything you know and have been raised in. That's the kind of corner that I would think these people in the crowd were feeling. In their anger, they looked across to their opponent, Stephen, and saw a villain in need of defeat. So they pushed him away. They blamed him for blasphemy and set him before the leaders. As Stephen preached a message, which was, in a nutshell, throughout history, people just like you have persecuted and killed the prophets who have come to tell you the good news, the crowd's anger boiled into rage. This led them to do something inexcusable. They took justice into their own hands, picked Stephen up, 
took him to the city gates and threw stones at him until he died. Now, let's just get this out of the way. Nobody in here wants to imitate the crowd of angry people who stoned Stephen. We're going to just establish that right now. We see them as the villains. And yes, we don't tend to go around physically stoning people. But I want you to consider this. When we meet someone different from us, who is not speaking about what we agree with, or is speaking about what they believe and have learned in their life, there's always that temptation to automatically not listen, to automatically discredit them. Maybe we think we know more than them, so we build up a counterattack and hold it ready without really hearing them. Maybe they make us uncomfortable and we feel like our minds will change if we really listen. So we avoid or discredit them and hold our beliefs with white knuckles. Maybe their views make us angry, so we hold on tight to all of the bad qualities we see in them. When we do that, friends, we're holding stones. Stones of anger and hatred and disregard for another human being who stands across the line that we have drawn in sand. And if we're not holding stones against someone, if we take a posture of indifference towards the other side, we are Saul, holding the coats as our more vocal fellows stone the other guys. This is not an example of the love that Jesus shows to us. And imitating this hero-villain mentality is not what he wants for us. Yet our world is full of debates and divides that have many people deeming each other villains. How can we, as the church, imitate Christ in our dialogues against lines of difference? How can we be a sample of his goodness, even when it's really, really hard? So here is my main point. Here is what I want you to remember the bottom line for today. Before we preach, we need to drop our stones and open our ears. Again, before we preach, we need to drop our stones and open our ears. So step one, we need to drop our stones. For this, I'd like you all to close your eyes. Take a breath and imagine someone with whom you disagree who stands across your line in the sand. Maybe their beliefs on something make you uncomfortable or angry, like Stevens did for the crowd. Maybe just doing this makes your blood pressure rise a bit. Maybe you're clutching your superiority and anger against them just a bit tighter. I know I am. Now I want you to ask yourself, who does this person love? Maybe they have a kid who means the world to them, or a friend, or a parent. What pain does this person have in their life? Maybe they lost a family member too soon, or have a chronic illness, or grew up in an abusive household. Now ask yourself, does this person inhabit the same world as you? face the same life that you do, want the same happiness, goodness, and fulfillment that you want? Chances are, the answer is yes. 
You can open your eyes now. What this exercise attempts to do is get us to see a human across the divide instead of a villain. Because most of life isn't lived in the black and white hero or villain mentality. Real life is lived in the gray area. We are, we are neither heroes nor villains, but we're all just humans who are trying to figure things out. So when you face others with whom you may disagree, remember that they are not villains, but humans, and lose your grip on those stones of anger and disregard for their beliefs. Next, we open our ears. I got my start in ministry working with the youngest disciples among us, our kiddos. And I love them very much. And that is now my job, working with a different set of kids at my summer internship. I love doing children's ministry. And one saying that I sometimes use when my group needs to listen up, which is fairly often, is that God gave us two ears and one mouth. So we need to do twice as much listening as talking. It's a nice little reminder that it's important to listen. Listening to others builds trust, and it helps us connect and find common ground with those who are different from us. When I was in college, I was a religion major. Apparently, telling people that stuck a sign on my forehead that said, tell me all of your problems with the church. That way, I met many people who were raised in certain churches and completely frustrated with Christianity as a whole. Every time someone who learned my major started down a path like this, I could feel myself getting defensive. I'd be watching them talk, and I'd be thinking, oh no, they're calling Christians mean and hypocritical again. I'm not like that. I could go in theological circles around this person. Just, I just need to find some fancy theologian, Kierkegaard or Lewis or something, and get a quote and get a nice argument ready for when they stop talking. But my religion professors and my mentors at school, all wonderful people of faith, wouldn't do that when they got in similar conversations. They would listen and they'd try to find common ground. It wasn't easy, but they did it. And in the process, they made the students across the lines feel heard and loved. As time went on, I learned to listen more as well. It's really hard to do. I don't like being called out. I still have to force myself to let go of my initial anger and presuppositions and try to hear the person out. But when I do, I learn a lot. It's hard to think, yeah, this person is right. The Christians often treat people who are different unkindly. And we pretend like some sins are a really big deal while others go unnoticed. We hurt those around us. We neglect the needy. And we get in fights over things that don't really matter. Because we're human. This person across from me has some really good points. But doing so, thinking this way, can help us write better sermons and have better conversations with those around us. Putting aside our own thoughts and opening our ears and minds to others shows God's love, a sample, an example of God's love to the people across the divide, both in the moment and going forward. 
Maybe the person you open your ears to hasn't had experience with loving, non-judgmental open ears before. And it will feel really good for them to be heard. We need to open our ears to learn and to love, even when it's uncomfortable. And it often is uncomfortable. Stephen's sermon calls out this group of people against him. They, he calls them stiff-necked. I can see why they were angered. Nobody likes to be called out. But Stephen's sermon, if you go back and read it, also goes through the history of God's people, mentioning Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and so on. Stephen draws on the common upbringing he and the crowd have in the Jewish faith to show them that he was, in fact, listening. Their common history pointed forward to God's new kingdom, but was also dotted with the persecution and disregard of the prophets by people who weren't willing to be called out. In other words, Stephen was imploring the group to listen, to drop their stones, see what they all had in common, and open their ears to what he had to say. But they didn't listen. And in the process, they persecuted another prophet. So my friends, consider this. How many messages from God have we as the church disregarded because they make us uncomfortable or call us out? Furthermore, how many preachers have we shooed away because of the way they act, the way they speak, the way they look, their age, their gender, their level of experience, what have you? God chooses messengers of all kinds. How many have we missed because our stones were in hand and our ears were closed? There are so many opportunities to learn and grow through the messages of God through other people. So we don't want to continue to miss them by not listening. So, step one, step two. Once our stones have fallen into the sand and our ears and minds are wide open, that is when we can preach. We can draw upon the love we learned by leaving behind that hero-villain mentality and choosing to see our opponents as equally valid children of God instead of targets for our anger. We can remember the stories we learned by listening that may have called us out to address the problems existing within our beloved church. We can come to the pulpit or the workplace or the classroom with awareness that God might choose to speak through somebody else today, and the readiness to receive that message, even as we prepare to preach our own. Perhaps that kind of proclamation will encourage others to do the same, and it could lead to conversations and relationships that heal our divided world. Perhaps. We'll never know unless we drop our stones and open our ears before we preach. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.